Well, as Trev said, my name is Johnny. I'm one of the elders here and uh, love getting the opportunity to preach as well as to give uh, Pastor Trev uh, some time off because he, he works really hard. Um, but today I want to talk, we're going to continue on in the book of James, uh, but I want to talk one little bit about, uh, have you ever been judged for what you look like? Um, it's Thanksgiving, we, we want to give thanks today, uh, but I want to talk about uh, how that happens in our lives. Um, for me, it's like whenever I go to a Vietnamese or a Japanese or a Chinese restaurant, I am always discriminated against because they always ask what? Do you want a fork? Because I'm a white guy and I don't know how to use chopsticks. Okay, please don't do that. Like, I can use chopsticks. Just because I'm white doesn't mean I can't. Um, years ago when I was uh, on a missions trip to the Philippines, uh, we had just finished playing basketball. I was 20 years old. And uh, I was up in the building and all of a sudden, and this isn't discriminating, this is just judging me for the way I looked. Uh, there was a whole group of women on top of the uh, mango factory and they were drying mangoes on the roof and they were all whistling at me and saying, guapo, guapo. And I figured, what does that mean? It apparently means cute or handsome. And so it's like, okay, they were judging me for, and I go, I'm not a piece of meat, okay? I'm a, I'm a person. I wasn't too offended. I, it was kind of cool. It never happened before. It never happened again. Um, this summer, we were, we were traveling to Christina Lake, and we were in the parking lot at McDonald's getting some food, and we had our boat behind us, and we'd kind of parked where there's no place to park a, a truck and a boat. So we were parked on the, on the side, and as we're there, some people, you guys honk, and then he drives by, and as he drives by, he's telling his wife, they're from Alberta. Like, Albertans park that way. It's like, why? Just because I'm from Alberta, I'm, I'm, I can't park? Um, or how about this, being judged? Um, and this is good. Uh, have you ever had those, those times, if you've ever owned a home, and you know that time between you owning a home and you put that money in the bank before you pay off the mortgage? And like, there's like, lots of zeros there, and you go into the bank, and they, and they actually call you mister for the first time, and they ask if you want to talk to the investment broker, and because we've been times where we go in, and it's, it's an overdraft. Those are the good times. Even this morning, I was judged for the way I was dressed. Someone says, you're talking about impartiality and rich and poor, and so you dress up rich because you're wearing a nice suit jacket. Well, let me tell you, see, judged. Like, Banana Republic, and that was our worship leader. Uh, Banana Republic, 239 on for 199 70% off, $30. Okay, so just to let you know. But we judge, right? On the way people look, on what they dress, on what they wear, we judge. And sometimes we're wrong. But this week I was having a conversation with my son. And he said, sometimes, Dad, you judge people. And that's not right. And I said, I'm sorry, son, that's, that's sin. It's not right. Thanks for calling me on it. But have you been judged for the way you look? Have you been judged for where you live or what you drive or what career that you've chosen? You see, we get judged. Maybe you're judged for the, having a piercing or a tattoo. Maybe you're judged. I was talking to someone this week in a church and, and he wanted to be on the prayer team in the church, uh, but he's got tattoos and he's got a nose ring. And they wouldn't let him be on the prayer team. They just thought he was allowed to play in the band. He was like, but I'm a prayer. I want to pray. But they didn't think he really looked the part. 
years ago when my wife was, we had just had our first child, and she's sitting over there with my son right there, and it was him. And uh, we were at this thing in Vancouver called Missions Fest, which all the missionaries get together, and we, and we talk about missions throughout the world. And so I'm there. I'm a youth pastor, and my wife is there. And my wife still looks super young, but we were just like 24 years old and been married for a few years, and we had our first baby. And so we're at Missions Fest, and this lady comes up to my wife. Oh, dear. So glad you kept him. It's like, Really? little bit of a judgment, uh, happened again. But my wife, being the smart, witty woman that she is, comes up and says, I'm so glad you kept him. And what was her response? That's what happens when you sleep with a youth pastor. <laughs> Shut her up. Believe me. But we see the problem of this going on in the United States. We see uh, police getting killed. We see police killing officer, killing people of a different race and ethnic background. And it's jacked up because we're judging people by the way they look. And this morning we're going to look at what James says about this. About how, what's the Christian response to this. But before we go there, can we all admit that maybe... It's been done to us, but maybe we've actually done it to other people. Maybe we've done it this morning, that we've judged someone based on what they look like and then treated them in that way. You see, we're in this movie, this series, this month, these few months called Prove It. And it's the book of James. And James is a book that was written by Jesus' younger brother. It was Jesus' half-brother. And when he starts out the book, and you, look, you can see this in the first verse, he says James, and he calls himself a servant. He doesn't name drop. Now, if Jesus was my half-brother, I would name drop. Yeah, Jesus, that's my big brother. But he doesn't do that. He calls him servant. Now, I've got three boys. And if my younger son would ever call my oldest son, uh, you say, I'm your servant, um, it would only be because my oldest son was Jesus, and he's not. It just doesn't happen. And so you see even James, how he treats himself. He understands his humility. But we're in this Prove It series, and it's, it's a hard-hitting series. And we as elders have encouraged Pastor Trevor to proclaim the news here. And often it's hard for a pastor to proclaim hard truths to his church. And why is that? Because he knows who's in his church. And, you, and there's so many things in this book that you, you, you think that he's talking to you. And in this book, there's some uh, 58 commands in 100, or 53 commands in 108 verses. So it's hard hitting. And what it is, is James is saying, if you are a believer, if you follow Jesus, then your life should prove it. Now, if you are here and you're not a Christian, you're, you're, you're skeptical about Christianity or you're just coming back, what we're going to talk about today and in this series is stuff that, that gives you ammunition to be against Christians. Because you, you hear Christians do one thing and you see them do another. And the book of James and what we're going to talk about today is about us actually believing what we say. And that's where we're going today. So open your Bibles with me uh, to James chapter 2 and we're going to read through the first 13 verses. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, put your hands up. Uh, we will give you one. The ushers will give you one. If you don't have a Bible, please take that. That is our gift to you. And, uh, but if you do have one at home, just put it back at the end. But James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. James says this. He says, My brothers, 
Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, will you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and are, and are, writ, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. So here, we've got James is, is saying, I want you to prove it. If you're a believer, you should, your life should actually reflect that. You see, Judaism, God wanted Judaism to be a one that doesn't discriminate against people. Christianity was all the more. And James is talking to the Christian church. He's talking to the, these Jews that have been dispersed from Jerusalem because they've been persecuted. So he's talking to Jewish Christians so they would understand this from their heritage as Jews. And he says this, beginning, he is my brothers. Again, he's showing his love. He's showing he's part of them. No partiality as hold your, the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. See, he's a good pastor. He's pleading with these people in love and concern, just like Pastor Trev pleads with us each week, that we get this because it's so important that we actually live out the gospel. So G James basically says one thing here. He says, show no partiality. And then he talks for a few verses of what this means. So he said, okay, no partiality, so let's go. Let's go, let's get the turkey, let's watch football today. Why do we need to be here? Because the reality is sometimes we, we, there's three ways that we can actually appropriate this in our lives to show no partiality. There's three ways. And we're going to talk about those today. And so this morning, I want our motivation to be exactly where James puts it. See, he starts right with the motivation of Jesus. Verse 1. He talks about their faith in Jesus. And why is this so important? You see, he illustrates this point for us. And he, he says, for it was like a rich man. So he's saying, he's coming up with a story, whether this was actually true or, or happened kind of like it in many situations. But as a pastor, he knew that this was going on in his church, that there was some partiality happening in his church, and he knew it was wrong and it was against the gospel. So he, he goes and he develops this story. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
So he, he makes this up. Whether it, was, it happened exactly like this or not. He's saying, people, we're judging. And you're actually putting the rich people ahead of the poor people. And that's, that's not right. You see, the Roman laws, they favored the rich. People with money were treated better than people that were poor. Totally does not happen today, does it? The reality is the rich have privilege. They, they can get off with things, it seems like. They have means to, to get, uh, care for things. But James is responding to this, and he says this is no way for Christians to ask. You see, Jesus did not respect persons. Even his enemies admitted in Matthew 22, he said, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians and saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God faithfully and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearance. Why are we so swayed by appearance? Why do sometimes that we get think that we're superior to others because we're not in their situation or because we look a certain way or we don't do a certain thing? And see, as we get into this text, you're going to find this, is, this text is way more about what's going on in our own heart than actually is going on in the text here. Because what's going on in the text is, is James is bringing people back to the gospel to remember who we, who we are as people of God. You see, Jesus cared for all people. First and foremost, when we understand the gospel, the good news, and what, what that is, is the fact that Man walked away. Adam and Eve in the garden walked away from God. God took him out of the garden and says, you know what, I'm going I'm to come after you. I'm going to send someone, and, which is going to be Jesus, we know, and he is going to bring you back to myself because I love you. And Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth. He lives this perfect life and dies a, a death that we deserved in our place. And then three days later, rises from the dead, conquering sin and death and restoring our relationship with God. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You see, James is not saying anything that he wasn't willing to put into action, and he's not saying anything that Jesus did not put into action. Jesus left perfection in heaven to come to earth. Why? Would you want to leave heaven to come to earth that is horrible and die a horrible death? No. So Jesus became poor. And following that example, Jesus was a respecter of persons. You see, Jesus called fishermen to follow him. And, and it just says, if you were going to start a movement, would you start with the lowest educated people? Blue collar guys? He, he started with this. He started with a bunch of fishermen. He reached out beyond ethnic boundaries and cultural boundaries. He taught and cared for a Samaritan woman, which were enemies of the Jews. He reached out and healed a naked demon guy. He allowed a prostitute to anoint his feet with oil and wipe it with her hair. He called tax collectors to be part of his posse. He was called a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with a lot of sinners. People that like to party, they like Jesus. And he went to their place. And they said, well, you must be like that because you're with those people. But Jesus didn't care. One commentator said this, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Though he disapproved of their sins, it was not compromise, but compassion that caused him to welcome them. And when they trusted him, he forgave them. You see, Jesus was prophesied this in Isaiah 53. He was poor. It says that he was like foxes and birds and had no home. He grew up in the despised city of Nazareth. 
He was rejected. He wasn't highly esteemed. He came from a blue-collar family. And it says in Isaiah 53 that if we actually met him, we wouldn't, we wouldn't think much of him. Nothing that would be attractive about him. And so I think one of the points that James is making here is if we just look to the outward appearance, if we would look to the outward appearance, we actually would have missed Jesus. And I believe when we just look to outward appearance, we miss Jesus in many ways, in the three ways, or two ways, which I'll, I'll speak about in a second. This week, um, I had a great conversation with my son. Uh, he's telling me about what it's like to be in high school now. And he's got a bunch of unchristian friends, non-Christian friends in, in his, and he's, he's hanging out with them and, and just getting to know them, not doing what they're doing, but just hanging out, kind of like Jesus was doing. And he's getting pushback from his Christian friends from youth group because he's hanging out with these people and assuming that he's now doing what they're doing. And so it's like, man, he's experiencing this in his high school with his high school Christian friends. And I'm saying, man, you love those people. Why are you better than them? You're not. None of us are better. But that happens as we get judged for who we are or what we're, who, we're, who we're being with. God does not discriminate against the poor merely because they are poor, rather because they have a sense of dependency and then they turn more easily to him. Listen to this. Listen, my beloved brothers, verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You see, what was happening these days is, is the rich were actually dragging the people in because they owed them money. They had no money. They're getting dragged in. And yet they were somehow favoring the rich people. The reality is, is what they were doing is they were favoring and showing what they actually treasured, what they liked. They were honoring money. They were, they were excited about money, not about following and serving Jesus. These, people, these poor people were dragged into courts. They were at the bottom of the social ladder. There was loan sharks that would take advantage of these people. You see, this was what was happening. This is what James was saying. This can't happen in the church. This is not who we are James is saying, you can't call yourself a Christian and do that. You can't call yourself a Christian and think that other people are better just because they have money. You're treasuring money and not Jesus and not the people that Jesus loves. So what is the root in favoritism? Sometimes we can believe that, that when we favor other people or when we think that we're favored, it's, it's because we're we're pretty, we think we're pretty good people. We think that we're pretty awesome in what we do. The reality is, is that when we do this, when we think we're better than others, that's when we show partiality. That's where partiality comes from, doesn't it? It's when we actually think that we're better than other people because we've actually done something to prove that. You see, when we show partiality, we miss the gospel. When someone says to you, so, so tell me about yourself. Why, why are you where you're at? And you may think, well, it's luck. I've just been, I've been lucky. I grew up in a great city. I grew up, you know, good family. It's just luck. And luck has nothing to do with the gospel. You may say, well, I've worked hard for what I have. So therefore, I, don't, I can show partiality because the people that work hard get what they, get what they deserve. I got an education. I'm, I'm a good, I'm a smart saver. I'm smart with them. I'm, I'm wise. I have a good family. And so you think you kind of deserve what you have. Anyone here felt, and I'm not asking you to put your hands up, but felt that what you have and where you're at is because you've just worked really hard? And maybe that's true. 
There's nothing wrong with a good education. There's nothing wrong with a good family. There's nothing wrong with working hard or, or being a good saver. But what it does is it puffs you up and think that you've done it all yourself. And so when you walk by someone on the street who's in a different place, you can look down and say, well, you should, have, you should have saved better. You should have worked harder. You should have gone to school. And yet, and yet you don't even know the stories of the people that we walk by. You see, sometimes we think that we've done all these good things. And, and yes, there's lots of principles in Scripture that we need to apply. But sometimes we apply all of these scriptures and yet life still doesn't go the way it has to go. And your life is destroyed. Like what God promised me that I should have all this stuff because I've done all the things. I've, I've kept the Proverbs. Like I've raised my kids up to, to love God. I've taught them the ways and they're not following God. What's wrong? The reality is that if we think that we've done it, we're, we're missing it. You see, when we think that, that where we're at in life is because of our hard work and what we've done, it's nothing more than Christian karma, and that's no such thing. I'll do good until good has come to me. The reality is, as Scripture says, is, is to much is given, to much is expected. And so if, if you are one that, and, and I would say all of us in here are really blessed. We're really blessed. And do we say it's because of us? No, it's because we've been given a lot, which is all a gift. And as we've been given, we, we give away. James goes on, verse 8, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you'll become a transgressor of the law. So what is the royal law? It's the law given by the king of kings. Jesus said, was asked, What's, what commandments are the most important? To love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he tells the story of how this works out. But in 1 John 4.20, written by uh, John, one of the disciples of Jesus, Jesus' best friend, he says this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, James is saying that if you think you are being good, then think again. Because if you break one part of the law, you've broken the entire law. And he's saying if you're showing partiality, you're not committing and believing in the whole law. It's like you're committing adultery, like you're committing uh, uh, murder. More consequences, obviously, for those but the reality says you're, you're breaking the law. There should be no partiality. This is serious, James says. If you break one part of the law, you break all of it. Um, Timothy, book of Timothy says this, as for rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Are we ready to share with what we've been given? And see, the way we believe how we got the stuff that we have and the position that we have is because it's all about us. But when we see all that we've been given, whether the gifts, whether the talents, whether in the family, whether in the place where we live, see, we have a whole lot more opportunity than those kids in Columbia. And when we believe that all the things that we've been given are a gift, it's so much easier to give away. 
because you didn't earn it. You've been given much. Much is expected. He ends off in verse 12 and 13 and he says this, So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why do we show mercy? We show mercy because Jesus has shown mercy to us. We show mercy because Jesus has shown mercy to us. We forgive. Why do we forgive? We forgive because we've been forgiven. We can forgive much. Why? Because we have been forgiven much. The way of Jesus means that we, have, we are no better than anyone else. It's not what Christians do. It's not what Jesus did. The mission will not go forward if we think that we are better than other people. And Christians can be the most judgmental people in the world because we think we've got the truth. We can put down, we, we think we're better than this or different cults, different people that believe different things. Why? Because we're smarter? Because we picked Jesus instead of Buddha or Muhammad? No. It's because Jesus has shown us and given us everything, all we deserve. Because all of us have walked away. All of us have walked away from God. All of us have sinned and deserve death. That's what we deserve. And Jesus says, no, I, I want to take that death for you. I died the death that you deserve. So when you look at your life and you go, all I deserve is death. All I deserve is eternal separation from God. That's what I deserve. Everything that we enjoy is God's goodness and grace and mercy to you. When you have that gospel understanding of your life, it's so much easier to give away. It's so much easier to not judge others. They just haven't been given as much as you. And we're able to give away to them. We're able to forgive. We're able to act in line with the gospel. An interesting book um, written by Rodney Stark. He's a, he's a uh, at the time, I believe, he was a non-Christian secular sociologist of religion. And he wrote this book and he talked about the rise of Christianity, how actually Christianity took off. And what he states in there as a sociologist. Many of us read in history that it was Constantine and, and him becoming the leader of the Roman Empire and making Christianity the religion. That wasn't it. You know what it was? It was in the middle of the first, second century and the middle, middle of the third century is that there were plagues that hit the cities. And all the people who did not know Jesus fled. They went out and they became pagans out in the, in the, in the country. But what did the Christians do? The Christians stayed. And they basically gave basic first aid. And in that, they actually grew antibodies that actually allowed them to sustain the plagues. They cared for and they stayed. They didn't care about themselves. They, they cared about their person who was not even, a, they didn't believe this exact same thing. And yet they cared for them. And that's how Christianity grew and got such great momentum is because Christians actually put this into practice. They didn't care about themselves. They realized that, that these people that were sick needed help. They said, well, you're, they could have easily said, well, you're sick, I don't want to get sick. But no, they were willing to get sick. And Christians did die. But what happened is it allowed Christianity to take off. 
like we see today where some two billion people believe or claim that they're Christian. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, so they shall be shown mercy. In Matthew 6, 14, he says this, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. He also said, Judge not that you be not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, the simple fact is that the gospel offered so much to the poor and it demanded so much from the rich that it was the poor who were swept into the church. It's one of the quotes of a commentator. See, the, the gospel demands so much from the rich and it offers so much to the poor. So how do we relate to this passage? What do we do as we walk out? There's three options today. You can leave feeling guilt and feeling shame. I've got to go do more. I've got to go help some people because I suck. You can even maybe invite a homeless person home for Thanksgiving. Maybe even a neighbor that you, you don't like that smells. And you can try really, really hard to get better at loving other people. That's a moralistic approach. The I'm bad approach. There's a second approach that's I'm pretty awesome approach. You can say, hey, I've made good choices. Um, that's not for me. Those, those, the poor people, that's their problem. They've made poor choices. They, should des they deserve what they get. That's their problem, not mine. You can just be thankful for the good decisions that you've made. Thankful for, for all those things. You can say that you've worked hard, that you've obeyed, that you've been wise. And you can maybe even do something to prove your awesomeness. And that's missing what James is saying. And, and if we do that, then, then James, I believe, is actually calling us into question. Do we actually believe this gospel that we've been given? And there's the third way, and that's the gospel approach. It's the approach that Jesus took that he humbled himself by coming to earth. It's the approach to say that you are broken. Yeah, you've fallen short. Have you done all that you have? Have you discriminated against people? Have you shown partiality? Yes. So you simply say, Jesus, I can't do it. In my own strength, because you can be the best person you want. Try as hard as you can, you're still not going to be good enough. So you say, I'm broken and I've fallen short. And we re rely on the one who didn't. The one who lived that perfect life. The one who did humble himself. The one who did become poor. And Jesus says, you just need to repent and turn to me. Because you've sinned and I haven't. So I want to exchange my perfect record, my perfect righteousness, my perfection for your flaws, for your sin. And you've been forgiven. You were spiritually poor, but you don't deserve anything. But because I am so good, because I'm so loving, I want to give you my love. You see, the reason why I believe that we... that. Christians are impartial, that, that can be, uh, show partiality, that we can be judgmental, is because we've forgotten who we are. So we must understand who we are so we can see others where they are to meet their needs in the name of Jesus. Let me say that again. We must understand who we are so we can see others where they are to meet their needs 
in the name of Jesus. Because it's so easy to say, I deserve it. I've worked hard. But the reality is we don't. The gospel says we deserve nothing, but Jesus has given us all. And so our only response is worship to Jesus. The only response is say we have open hands. If you've ever talked to anybody, if you've been a server in a restaurant, they hate Sunday mornings. They hate Sunday lunch. Why? Because they are treated not with respect. They are not tipped well. One of the women that I work with, she used to run a restaurant and she said it was horrible and she was so embarrassed to be a Christian on Sundays. Simple thing is that we actually treat the people that are serving us with dignity, with respect. Why? Because they're a child of the king. They've been created in the image of God. And how dare we treat anyone other than we should. And we're going to fall down, and we do. I do. But when I'm being judgmental, it's because I've forgotten who I am and what Jesus has done for me. And I pray that we as a church can be a church that understands who we are and understands the great greatness of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why you hear Jesus a lot here because that's all we got is Jesus. So it's not running out of here feeling I've got to do more. I've got to try harder. No, I just want you to leave knowing that you are so loved. If you know Jesus, that you are so loved. You don't have to work. You don't have to perform. And But out of that sense of being completely loved, of feeling that everything that you've been given is such a gift, it's so much easier to give away to others. And when we see others, we don't say, that's your problem, that's your fault. We go, we can have compassion. Why? Because when we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we are yet sinners, Christ died for me. And that's the compassion that allows us to go and be impartial, to love people for who they are, because Jesus did. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to close in prayer. But, but every week here at Urban Grace, we, we take communion. And the reason why we take communion, or uh, you might know it as the Eucharist, the Lord's table, call it a family meal, is because it reminds us every week of what Jesus has done. And this table is for those who've said yes to Jesus. It contains two small elements. It contains wine and juice, which represents Jesus' blood, which was broken for us, which was spilled for us. It represents bread, which is, represents Jesus' body, that he actually came to earth, that he was a physical person, and his body was broken for us on the cross. And when we come and take communion, we're saying, yes, Jesus, thank you. You saved me out of nothing that I've done of myself, but you've done it all, you've paid it off. So I want to acknowledge that fact in my life, and I want to praise you. I want to give you praise and glory for what you've done for me. And we take that. So, so I'd ask if you've never done that, if you say, man, I don't know, who, I haven't repented of my sins, you can do that this morning. You can say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I, I know I've walked away from you. I know I have my relationship with you. I know I've done some crazy jacked up things in my life. But I want to trust in your perfect record. So you simply say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the perfect sacrifice, that you took all of my sins away. And I want to commit to following you. If you can say that, I would invite you to come and take communion for the first time and tell one of us, tell Pastor Trev, tell myself. And so we're going to take communion now. I'm going to pray. And just let's be celebratory of what it is. And let's be thankful for the most important thing. 
So often when we get around the Thanksgiving Day, and I'm thankful for everything I have in my life. But you know what sometimes we miss? We miss being thankful for Jesus. So today when we celebrate things, let's make sure we thank Jesus for who he is, for what he did, for his great love for us. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to allow us to continue to have that power to live lives to show, not show partiality. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you so much for what you've done. We thank you for how you've blessed us in this great country. We thank you how you've blessed us here in Calgary. Lord, we have so much and we pray that we would not think that we've just earned this all and it's all about what we've done. But may we see all that we have as a simple gift from you, Jesus, of your goodness, of stuff that you want us to, that you've given us so we can be a blessing to others, just as you promised Abraham, that you made him a blessing to be a blessing. And so, Father, I pray for each person here at Urban Grace that this week we would go out and we would be a blessing, that we would understand that you've given us much and we want to give much away. So, Lord, may we not think that we're better than anybody, but may we just always look to you as being the supreme one, the holy one, the great one that gave his life for us. So we pray all these things for our joy and for your glory in your name, Jesus. Amen.